0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord.
1: Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go tell my servant David, thus said the, said the Lord. Are you the one who built me a house to live in? I am not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt this day but I have been moving around in a tent in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved among all the people of Israel, I did ever speak of a word that any of the tribal leaders of Israel who I command to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say, to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, now following the sheep to be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you whenever you went and have cut off your, all your enemies from before you. I, and I will make you for you a great name like then like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may live in their own place just and be disturbed no more and evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you the rest from all enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares you that the Lord will make you a house.
0: Amen. Thank you very much, Abigail. <laughs> Have any of you ever heard of a man named Gary Chapman? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it has to a different way. Have you ever heard of the five love languages? Gary Chapman is an is individual who wrote a book a number of years ago called The Five Love Languages. Uh, this is something that I use in premarital counseling with couples to you know, just kind of help them become a little more familiar uh, with one another. Uh, love languages are how we, as individuals, both give and receive love best. Um, And it's not exclusive, but typically uh, each individual has one way that they prefer to show love to others and a way that they prefer to receive love from others. Or maybe another way to say that is a way in which they feel love most from others and hope that others feel love most from them. Uh, Those five love languages are words of affirmation, that's my wife, my wife, Loves words of affirmation. If you ever see her, just give her a compliment and you will make her entire week. She loves words of affirmation. Um, receiving or giving gifts. Um, Christmas time is particularly a lovely time for these individuals who like to receive and give gifts. Uh, uh, um. <clears throat> Physical touch. People who like a hug. People who, who they're, they're those people who, anytime they're talking to you, they like to put your, their hand on your shoulder or just be really close to you. Physical touch. Um, I've got these written down. I should just go look, but I'm trying to do this from memory here. Uh, quality time. People who like to just be around you. Just like to spend time with you. People who just want to be there. And uh, and then I am. I'm gonna have to look. Gosh, right, I'm sorry. Just off my game today. <laughs> Acts of service. There we go. Goodness. Acts of service, people who uh, feel love most whenever you do something for them and want you to feel love whenever they do something for you. So these are the five love languages that Gary Chapman uh, identified, and his work is built off of others' work as well, and others have built off of his work. But this is uh, love, and today we are talking about love. The, the, the uh, final Sunday of Advent is a Sunday all about love and experiencing the hope and peace, and joy of Christ within this love. And so as we're talking about love today, I felt like it was most appropriate to talk about love languages because what happens on Christmas Eve, what we call Christmas Eve, what happens at the birth of Christ is nothing less than God doing everything in God's power to give us a moment of unconditional love where heaven and earth collide, space and time break down for just one moment for us to experience love in all five love languages. And we'll get to that more in just a minute. But, but first, we need to um, point out the elephant in the room. Our scripture lesson today, which Abigail did such a lovely job reading for us, our scripture lesson today is an odd one. It's not one... Um, you expect to hear uh, during Christmas time, uh, and appropriately so, we're not in Christmas time. No matter what the commercials say, we are in Advent. Christmas time starts on December 25th, and then we will be in the 12 days of Christmas. That's where that song comes from. We are in Advent right now, and this is a very appropriate Advent text. Advent is a time of anticipation, a time of waiting, a time of longing, a time of preparation. And so during a time of Advent, we hear these words from 2 Samuel, which up until this point we've been talking through Isaiah, so suddenly we're throwing in a, a, an older Deuteronomistic history text um, for us today. And 2 Samuel tells the story <coughs> about King David. And King David, uh, You you might be familiar with his story. He was the shepherd boy who got identified as as an anointed one of God to be king. He wasn't the first king of Israel. That was Saul, not Paul Saul, different Saul, older Saul. Uh, And he wasn't a very good king. Um, But then God appoints David, this little shepherd boy, the same guy who takes a sling and defeats the massive giant uh, Goliath of the Philistines. And this David grows up in favor of the Lord and in wisdom and becomes king. And in, uh, in doing so, he uh, is, it says, has, has gone out with the strength of the Lord to defeat all of, the, all of Israel's enemies. And so after all of the enemies are defeated, he takes a rest and he says, well, now what? When there's not war going on, it's easy for a king to get kind of bored, What now? What? I know. I'm going to build a house, a temple for the Lord, because this hasn't been done yet. Up until this point, the Lord, the presence of the Lord, has been residing in the tabernacle, which is this tent. Like structure within it is the Ark of the Covenant, which is this weird looking box that has all of these holy relics inside of it, uh, and, and these cherubim with wings on top that the presence of the Lord supposedly resides inside. It's very confusing. Read through Leviticus, and you'll get even more confused. Um, but we have, up until this point, the presence of the Lord has been residing in the tabernacle, a tent. And David says, why, why is the, why am I sitting here in this grand palace filled with these wonderful cedars of Lebanon while the Lord has but a tent? I am going to do something about it. So he consults Nathan, who's a prophet, and says, can I do this? Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to make a dwelling for, for God? And Nathan says, yeah, sure. Why not? What harm could it do? Um, paraphrasing here of course he says yeah go the Lord is with you go and do this that very night Nathan ends up having a dream and it's every pastor's worst nightmare kind of dream that uh, after just saying go and do this the Lord is with you Nathan receives this dream with God saying you're wrong I'm not with that guy don't let him do that Every pastor's worst nightmare for for somebody to say, yeah, God wants you to do this. And then later, God shows up and says, no, we don't want you to do that. Please don't. Um, And so Nathan has to do that awkward moment where he goes and confronts the king and says, I lied, bruh, sorry. But yeah. And so got to reconfigure all of this. And it's this moment in which which David is kind of confronted by the Lord uh, to say, this isn't your job. It's going to be your ancestor, Excuse me. It's going to be your descendants' job to build the temple. And David's kind of confused by that, but he says, "All right, sure, whatever you say, God. Sounds good to me." Um, so David doesn't get to build the temple. Uh, what ends up coming next is after <clears throat> scandal, after scandal, after scandal, after scandal. Suddenly, David's illegitimate son Solomon comes up and becomes king. And this is, uh, this is all great because Solomon is the wise king and he asks for wisdom from God and God grants wisdom and Solomon is the one to build the temple. However, and, 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 and thus it's fulfilled that, that, that David's descendant builds the place of God's residence. However, scholars look back on this text here and say, we're not quite sure That what Nathan and God were talking about here to David, about David's descendant building a residence, building a temple for the God, to be the actual temple that gets built by Solomon. Their argument, scholars say, is that this prophecy from Nathan and from God is that the temple that is to be built by one of David's descendants is indeed Christ Jesus that's going to come later. Jesus, a descendant of David. Hundreds, uh, we're getting uh, 700 years, almost 800 years later, um, Jesus becomes the one who is the temple. And scholars say this because it's, uh, it's in a point where Jesus has come, uh, later on, I'm forgetting the exact reference, but Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the first time, and once he gets there, he comes to the temple, and the teachers there are saying, look at this magnificent temple that we have built for the Lord, and Jesus says, I will tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days, and they're saying, what? (laughs) What? And it's Jesus referring to himself, to his own body as the temple, to his own being as the temple, which does get torn down and rebuilt or resurrected in three days. And so it's it's all of these metaphors that are going on that harkens back to this passage in 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 11, that it's not really the physical building, the temple, that Nathan and, and God are talking about here for David. It's actually Jesus that's going to be the very presence of God. Now, we have to ask, okay, that's all really fun connections, and maybe that's true, and maybe that's not. Why does it matter? That's always the grand question we have to tackle whenever we start unpacking Scripture like this. Why does it matter? Why is it important? Well, because it tells us just a little bit about how God loves Uh, We in the church, the Christian church, the universal Christian church, ascribe that God is a God of love. Wonderful. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, for this particular instance, God has chosen to love on human beings in the most human way possible, through the five love languages. And, uh, and I stretch this just a little bit here, but, but work with me for just a moment. God takes on human form in Jesus Christ. The incarnate God comes uh, in Jesus Christ for the purpose of showing unconditional love to human beings through the five love languages. So we start with uh, what, what, let's see here. Uh, Let's start with words of affirmation. Jesus is one who throughout his entire life and ministry is going about blessing those who have been poor, oppressed, hurt, broken, and lifting them up in his words. And with his very words providing healing in physical touch, God comes manifest in human form so that people can feel physically touched by god and indeed jesus does physically touch people in healing in hugging i like to i mean we don't get any of this in the bible but i like to imagine that jesus and his 12 best friends are are broing out and they're just like patting each other on the back and they're just so excited to be around one another and laughing and cutting up and there's probably some hugging going on i imagine jesus was a hugger in receiving or giving gifts Jesus is one whose entire life was built on giving gifts, an entire ministry built on giving gifts. In acts of service, once again, take this also kind of with the giving gifts aspect, Jesus's entire life and ministry is one act of service, all the way up to the cross, the the crucifixion, Jesus's own death and resurrection, a moment of service. And then in quality time, and this is perhaps one of the most important here that God wants to show. In quality time, that in the physical presence of Christ, God is able to provide quality time with people. And how much quality time there is. In back going back to 2 Samuel 7 for just a moment, uh, starting. At uh, the middle of verse 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So what we have here, once again, is a moment that those of you who have been attending our Advent Bible studies might catch on to here. That God, the God of the universe, refuses to be separate from humanity. That the God of the universe wants to be with human beings wants to be with the people and we see this in, uh, in throughout, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament that it starts out God shows up in the Garden of Eden and is apparently physically with Adam and Eve they hear God walking take that as you will And then there's all this chaos going on, but then we get to Moses and there's the burning bush and God is with Moses in the burning bush. And then the people are going through the Exodus and God is with the people in the Exodus through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And then they get to Mount Sinai and God is with the people in this grand storm that appears over the mountain. And then we... Uh, we, we just keep on going. God keeps showing up with the people. They eventually build the Ark of the Covenant, which goes with and in front of the people as God's presence being with the people. And then eventually the temple gets built and God is present with the people in the temple and the people are able to go to the temple, although only certain people are allowed to go all the way in. But then God takes it a step further and says, I've been with you. Second Samuel verse 8. Uh, chapter 7, verse 8. I've been with you wherever you have gone, but I'm going to take it a step further. And in the incarnate Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh, God shows up to be with the people in the ultimate form as a human being. There is no better way for a human being to be with another human being than being with a human being. Is that not what we've discovered over the past nine months? of social distancing. There's no better way to be with another human being than to be with them as a human being. All the virtual stuff is great and it's wonderful and it's really helpful during this time. But even through this video, those of you who might be watching, I can stick my hand as close to that lens as I want to and I'm still not going to be able to shake your, own, your hand. Meanwhile, I can walk up here. I'm not going to keep my distance, but I can walk up here and shake. There's... there's, there's just something about being with one another as human beings that makes all the difference in the world. And God knows this, and so God shows up in human form. Why? To show us love. So once again, we ask the question, what does that mean for us? For God to choose to be with us. It means that God is striving for something better for us. For us to be connected to something bigger than ourselves, which is God. That God, throughout the course of human history, is constantly working through various ways for for us to become more acquainted with God, and for us to know God more intimately, and for us to feel the very love of God through our five love languages, if you will. God shows up this way for us out of love so that we might be transformed. And whenever I say so that we might be transformed, I say that because in our transformation, this is the grand thing that Christians always talk about, this, this, I don't know, some people call it salvation, some people call it conversion, some people call it transformation, whatever you want to call it, it's this moment in which the Holy Spirit works in us, moving us on toward holiness so that we might be desperate to be closer to God. Because as we grow closer to God, and when we are closer to God, we start wanting to be closer to one another. We start wanting better things for our world. As transformed people who want God desperately, we start being a people who want better for one another. We start wanting to show up for one another just the same as God showed up for us. But sometimes we have to work backwards. Sometimes that just happens. Sometimes we get that transformation within us and we want to draw nearer to God and as we draw nearer to God we start wanting to do more things for more people. But sometimes we have to work backwards. Uh, It was in um, John Wesley, the founder of modern-day United Methodism. John Wesley was, went through multiple points of what some might argue as depression, uh, as multiple points of just really feeling the pressure of what he was doing, multiple points of feeling like he didn't have enough faith. And so during these times when he felt like he didn't have enough faith, like he couldn't get close enough to God, like he didn't want to, A friend of his, I think it was George Whitfield, I could be wrong and I'm sure somebody could call me out on that, I think it was George Whitfield, said to him, John, Wesley, however they talked to each other at the time, preach faith until you have faith. And then because you have faith, you will preach faith. It's this working backwards model. And so my challenge for us today as we start thinking about what it means to live into the love of God, to receive the love of God, to wholly comprehend what it means to have God being with us, my challenge is that we start working backwards. I took this, um, it's what's called an amended Christmas to-do list. Everybody has their Christmas to-do list. You gotta check off these boxes uh, before Christmas day, you know, things like buying gifts, you know, calling people, sending Christmas cards, that sort of stuff. I want to present to you this amended Christmas list. I did not come up with this, full disclosure, found it on the internet, thought it was pretty cool. Instead, this season of worrying about buying presents, be present with one another. The season, instead of worrying about wrapping gifts, wrap someone in a hug. The season, instead of worrying about sending gifts, send love. Instead of worrying about shopping for food, donate for food. Instead of worrying about making desserts, make memories. Instead of worrying about seeing all the lights, be the light. In other words, show what God's love looks like so that you might experience the love of God firsthand. Because God's love is one that shows up in words of affirmation. God's love is one that shows up in our physical touch. God's love is one that shows up in the giving and receiving of gifts. God's love is one that shows up in quality time, that which we spend with one another God's love shows up in acts of service. So this season, my challenge to you is to show what God's love looks like. Let God be with the people through you in the same way that God came to be with the people through Christ. Whether that be through the five love languages, whether that be through an amended Christmas list, go and be love. Let us pray.